0: ...as we move through our text in Luke chapter 17. So today we're going to be covering a lot of ground. A lot more ground than I like to, um, but there's a lot of of text before we get where we're headed. So uh, I always like you guys to open your Bibles, but today especially, please open your Bible uh, and and turn to Luke chapter 17. Um, And as you go to Luke chapter 17... I'm just going to go through the spiel again that I give often about the uh, subtitles that are in your Bibles. Those little subtitles that are in your Bibles are helpful tools for reference. They let us know, oh yeah, that's where that is that I was looking for. They are not inspired by God. They were not placed there by the Holy Spirit or some angel. They were put there by a publishing company to help you find the verses you're looking for, which means... We don't have to stop where those subheadings are. So uh, today we're going to look at um, the the first several verses all the way through the healing of the ten lepers, and we're going to have to move quite fast. So um, buckle up, because we're going to cover a lot of ground. I don't don't know how this keeps happening, but this section of Luke is filled with lots of challenging passages. So uh, my, my hope for today is that uh, as we move through this first half of Luke 17, you're going to begin to see how this all fits together. And I think you're going to see the link between 16 and 17 by the end of the day, and you're going to see quite clearly how our faith and our obedience are tied so closely together. Now, as we move through uh, chapter 16, we saw how Jesus revealed the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And we saw how they they were, Jesus used some teaching in his, his parables here to see how the Pharisees were a shrewd bunch that commends each other on their clever ways of protecting their wealth, their greed, and their pride. And as Jesus addressed the shrewdness of the Pharisees, he encouraged his followers to use that same level of shrewdness and cleverness to demonstrate generosity. So as he challenged one's greed, he challenged. Our generosity. Then as Jesus transitioned into the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Jesus made it clear that the law of Moses, the prophets, the preaching of the gospel are all sufficient for us to know the way into the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And Jesus also makes it clear that none of his revealed scripture will ever pass away. Now, no matter how tricky and clever the Pharisees thought they might be, they were only finding clever ways to disguise a heart of disobedience. It was all a ruse, a clever way to disguise a heart of disobedience. But God knows our hearts. So the story of the rich man and Lazarus confirms for us that no matter how much power, no matter how much wealth we may have on earth, None of that allows us to claim eternal authority. God has all authority on heaven and on earth, and he has revealed his ways to us through his scripture. Now, here's the thing. We've got to remember this. If we twist the scripture into making our sinful actions look justified, there's still sin. Okay? Our bad theology does not change God's truth. Our bad theology does not change God's truth. So what we're going to see today is that Jesus ties our faith to our obedience. Now, as we talk about this link between faith and obedience, I know what what you might be tempted to do. You might be tempted to think that what I'm advocating for is some kind of works-based salvation. Whereas we talk about faith's tie to obedience, you, you might sit there and go, is Brandon saying we're not saved unless... We obey. Okay, well, Scripture's pretty clear, right? That we are saved by grace through faith. So how are we saved? We are saved by the mercy and grace of God that we receive upon faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who died for our sins, was buried and raised on the third day. That's how we receive that grace and mercy. Is that a works-based salvation? No. However... We are going to talk about faith's link to obedience. Does what you believe impact what you do? And the answer to that should be a resounding yes. So a real faith is a faith that obeys. All right, now I think we're going to see this most clearly displayed in the healing of the ten lepers that we're going to get to Eventually. But as we start, I want us to look at the transition between chapters 16 and 17 at the beginning of chapter 17. So let's let's first remember what Jesus is doing. He's, He's condemning several things in the lives of the Pharisees as he comes out of chapter 16. He's condemning the twist of Scripture to defend their love of money, and he's also condemning the way the Pharisees defend their sin of lust and adultery by uh, uh, attacking the Pharisees' view of marriage and divorce. So today we're going to quickly see Jesus go after a third way that the Pharisees have twisted the law in order to justify their sin. This time it's the sin of unforgiveness. So let's look at uh, Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 4. It says this, And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. Now, the implication here is that these temptations come through the Pharisees. That's the implication. Let's look at it again. Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, then that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Verse 3, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in one day, in the day, and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. All right, now we're going to go back to verses 1 and 2 in a second, but I want you to see what's happening in verses 3 and 4. So there was this rabbinic tradition at this time uh, that the rabbis of Jesus' day taught that you should forgive somebody three times. You should forgive them three times. Well, on the fourth time, I mean, come on, you've already forgiven them three times. Clearly they're not sorry, right? So you don't have to forgive them, and this makes sense, right? We all have children. Well, not we all. Many of us have children. Many of us have observed children. And what, what do we say to our children when they apologize for the hundredth time? If you were really sorry, you would stop hitting your sister, right? That's what we say, or brother, or you, I don't know. Um, so however that may be, we, we link this. So this, this concept makes sense to us, okay? But at the end of the day, Jesus is teaching us, he says here, if they sin against you seven times in a single day, forgive them. This is the idea that you should Always forgive. Now, seven times in a day, that means like every couple hours they've sinned against you and they're saying, hey, I'm sorry. Uh, will you forgive me? Hey, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I'm sorry again. Will you still forgive me? And what's Jesus say? Yes. He, he presents this rather absurd situation where you should forgive them seven times in a single day. This goes parallel with what we see in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22, where it's a different setting, but Jesus basically says the same thing. In these verses, uh, Peter comes up to Jesus, and Peter says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? So That's a lot. That's more than the three. He's being generous, and Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So whether it's seven times in a day, Or 77 times, what's Jesus' point on forgiveness? Forgive. How often? Always. So when we look at this idea, this rabbinic tradition, that you were supposed to forgive three times, the question that Peter poses in Matthew, or what we see Jesus confronting in Luke, is is really Jesus making his case against the notion that you should only forgive three times or however many. At any case, Jesus is addressing the idea of a limit. The second we put a number on how many times we're supposed to forgive someone, what are we doing? We're creating an opportunity for unforgiveness. We've now built into the system a way for us to not forgive someone. Now look back then, think back through what we've talked about in chapter 16 Uh, And now in 17, we saw the the way the Pharisees were defending their greed and their, their love of money. We saw the way they approached divorce. And now we're seeing this idea here of forgiveness. In each of these situations, what do we see? We see the Pharisees twisting Scripture in order to justify sin. This is all about disobedience. How can I disguise and excuse and justify my disobedience? So throughout Luke chapter 16 through verse 4, this central move here is Jesus is challenging the ways we defend our sin. Okay? Now, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they seem to have understood how hard some of these things are. Being generous is difficult. Being a good steward of your money is difficult difficult maintaining a healthy biblical marriage is hard it takes a lot of work forgiving someone is hard it takes a lot of work so the pharisees began to do something they began to twist the scripture in order in order to justify sin so what does jesus say then in the first couple of verses of chapter 17 woe to the one through whom temptation comes. Listen, we're all tempted. We're all tempted. Each of these things, we know how hard they are. We're all tempted. But woe to the one through whom the temptation comes. If we begin to teach things that aren't true to justify our sin, we're in trouble. We're now excusing it. We're giving it permission. And Jesus says it's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and you to be chucked into the sea than to be advocating that someone is good in their sin. Jesus says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. Call him out. It's okay, right? But also, forgive him. Now, the the disciples are hearing all this. And this is rather overwhelming. There has been a lot of teaching that they have received over the years on ways to cover your backside when you sin. The culture of the day, the teaching of the day, was to excuse sinful behavior. Does that sound familiar at all? Man, there's nothing new under the sun, right? There's nothing new under the sun. And so as they've been taught these things and they're experiencing these things, the the disciples are are challenged. They're challenged. And where does Luke go next? Where does Luke go next? Let's look at verses 5 and 6. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. Could you? Doesn't that make sense? I have been challenged over and over again. You're calling me to do hard things. You're saying I've got to honor you in all these ways that we've made excuses to not honor you. This is hard. I'm struggling, Jesus. Increase my faith. And how does Jesus respond to this idea that he can increase or should increase their faith? He says this, verse 6, And the Lord said, if you had faith like the grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Increase our faith. And Jesus' response is, nah. He says, if you have if you have the faith, the size of a grain of mustard seed, is that more? It's just some. Think about that for a second. Now, a lot of times, man, as we move through this section of Luke, you're going to see over and over again, Brandon, we could have gone this way with the text. We could have gone this way with the text. We could have gone this way with the text. I, guys, do you want me to be, preach like a four-hour sermon? Or we could be in five verses for ten weeks. I mean, you're, you're right, okay? One of the common ways people address this is, well, it's not how much faith you have, it's what your faith is in. I completely agree. I completely agree. Their question, though, is increase our faith. Increase our faith, Lord. And Jesus' response is to say something small. He doesn't say more. He simply says, believe. Believe. Believe, and you know what? The impossible becomes possible. You can say to this tree, get up and be planted in the sea. So I think the heart of uh, of this section, the theme, if you will, of the teaching that we're going to be experiencing today is this. Faith empowers our obedience. Faith empowers our obedience. So the question that frames this section, or the idea that frames this section is the disciples asking Jesus to increase their faith. And Jesus' response is, I don't think it takes that much. So if we look back at our passage, then what we're going to see is uh, in chapter 16, verses, verse 1, through 17, verse 4, all right, so 16, all of 16 through 7, 17, verse 4, uh, there's been a lot of emphasis on the way we justify disobedience but from verse 4 through 19 we're going to see a shift in emphasizing obedience okay 16 through 17:4 disobedience 17:5 through 19 obedience i need you to see the shift because it all comes back to the question increase our faith increase our faith So what we need to see is there is a direct tie between our faith and our obedience. The more we believe, the easier it is to obey. And the more we obey, the easier it is to believe. When you really believe something, it changes the way you act. When you really believe something, it changes the way you act. Let let me, let me just walk you through this. So let's just say you go to your doctor and your doctor does some tests and the doctor finds out you have really high cholesterol and if you don't get your cholesterol under control, you're gonna have a heart attack and die, okay? If you don't get your cholesterol under control, you are going to die. Is that gonna change the way you act? Well, it will if two things are true. One, you value your life. Two, you believe your doctor. If you don't change what you do, then either you don't value your life or you don't believe your doctor. But if you believe it, then you do something about it. There is a link between what you believe and what you do. Now, before we get into the miracle that we're going to see coming in a couple verses, I want you to see this quick parable. It seems out of place. It's another one of those parables that you go, Luke, what are you doing? Why is this here? So let's read it, scratch our heads for a second, and then I think I can uh, unpack why it's here and why it's helpful and how it goes right along with faith and obedience. Okay, so this is a very basic, simple parable that helps us understand how basic obedience is. So let's start in verse 7. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. Okay. Now, the first thing we need to remember when we come to some of these parables of Jesus is that most parables usually provide one point unless it's noted in the text. So what's the point of this little parable? Are you ready? You can write it down. What is the point of seven through nine? Servants obey their master. That's the point. Servants obey their master. And when they do, it's no big deal. It's what they do. If the master is really the master, and if the servant is really the servant, then when the servant obeys the master, it's a Tuesday. You know, like, it's just the way it goes. It's nothing special. This is not a remarkable thing. When, what's it say here? It says, "It says, the, the word command is in here twice, verse 9. Does he, the master, thank the servant because he did what was commanded? The implication of that is, no, he doesn't. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, okay, so what we need to understand that when Jesus gives parables, not everything matches to somebody, Okay. So Jesus isn't trying to say he's the master in the first part of the parable. This isn't just the way life works. This is simple observation. Okay? Now we get the shift at the end of the verse where now he's saying, I'm the master. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, so now you my disciples, when you do all that you were commanded by me, by the word, by God, say we are unworthy servants, we've only done our duty. Do you see the contrast between the way Jesus is presenting obedience and what we see with the Pharisees and the way they're twisting Scripture to justify disobedience? At the end of the day, when we twist the Scripture, we change the commands of the Master. And when we change the commands of the Master, who's the Master? We are. Who's giving the order when we change the order of the Master? We are. So, right here, we have framed this idea that if we are followers of Jesus, then who is our master? He is. So, who do we follow? Him. And what do we do? What he tells us to do. So, when we do what he tells us to do, good? Like, good job. That's what you're supposed to do. He's your master. There's a, but you have to believe something. You have to believe he's actually your master. And the evidence that you actually believe he's your master is what? Your obedience. Either you don't believe he's the master or you don't believe you're a servant. But if you believe he's the master then you're going to do what he says. So a genuine faith in Jesus, obeys. But we're going to see in the, in the story, the, the real story of the, te- the healing of the uh, ten lepers that it's not just about obeying. There's something else that goes along with it, and that is praise. A genuine faith obeys, and a genuine faith praises. I think as we look at the, uh, the healing of the ten lepers, we really begin to see the connection between faith and obedience come to life. So let's go ahead and look at the account of the healing of the ten lepers, starting in verse 11 through verse 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered the village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus... Master, okay, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, after I read this miracle account several times, I had quite a few Observations that stood out to me. And I just kind of want to list some of these to you. Uh, and, and then we cannot track them all down. Okay? So the first thing is that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, which means he's headed toward uh, his final days in Jerusalem. This is his last trip there. Okay? So that's interesting to me. He went uh, between Samaria and Galilee. We're going to see the, the theme of the Samaritan come up again. Okay? Now, these... Lepers identify Jesus how? As master. I think it's interesting also that Jesus never said he was going to heal them. I just think that's interesting. We'll talk about that more in a minute. He only tells them to go and show themselves to the priest. Third, only one... Well, it's more than third. uh, Next. uh, uh, Only one leper comes back, and then we see that, that... Only one man praised Jesus. And finally, Jesus says something that I think is interesting that we're going to spend some more time on later. It's that his faith has made him well. Now, again, this is not an exhaustive list on the observations we can make on this passage. And we could really, like, drive down any one of these lanes and do a whole sermon on any one of these observations. We simply cannot do that today. So when I step back and I look at chapter 16 and I look at chapter 17 together... Uh, Certain themes seem a little more prominent to me. So, again, since we've seen already, chapter 16 hits on justifying disobedience by twisting scripture. Now we see this link here between faith and obedience. And we see again this verse that I've harped on over and over again already in 17, verse 5. The disciples say to Jesus, Increase our faith. And then the leper, the lepers uh, in verse the verse verse 19 sorry what does Jesus say to the leper he says your faith has made you well so the disciples say increase our faith and he ends this healing account by saying to the leper what your faith has made you well now so here's here's the question i have to ask if if the disciples are saying increase our faith and Jesus says to this leper your faith has made you well, how then did this man healed of leprosy demonstrate his faith? How did he demonstrate his faith? The disciples say increase our faith. This man's faith healed him. How then did he demonstrate his faith? So this question has to be where the application of the message comes from today. So today, we're going to learn two ways to increase our faith, and they're really tied. They're intermingled, Okay. Two ways to increase our faith. A genuine faith obeys God and a genuine faith praises God. All right, let's look at the the first way we can increase our faith. We can increase our faith by obeying God. Now, when when I think of of faith's link to obedience, I, I can't help but see a movie reference here. Okay, uh, I don't know how many of you guys have seen Indiana Jones um, and the Last Crusade. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. All right. but, but Dr. Jones, at the end of the movie, he's about to enter the room where the Holy Grail is so that he can get that water and go take it back to his dad and his dad can, can live. And as he's about to enter the room, he comes up to this chasm and he's looking at his notes and he's reading in his notes that he has to take the leap of faith the leap of faith and so you see this shot like Indiana Jones is freaking out here okay like am i going to what's going to happen what's going to happen and you see the shot they zoom back and his foot is out and he rocks forward and he lands on that bridge and as you watch him he lands on the bridge he's terrified he's terrified he does it he lands He breathes, he takes the next step, and then something interesting happens. Each step, even when he's in the middle of the chasm, becomes easier. Each step becomes, that first step, that first step is really challenging, it's really hard, it's a leap of faith, and the foot lands, and then each step after that is a little easier. We get a little more confidence. Now, if you think about that, what what did the disciples ask? Increase our faith. When was Indiana Jones' faith strongest? Was it the first step or was it the fifth step? His faith was stronger each step he took. When it comes to our faith, Oftentimes, the first step is the hardest. So when we think about what is it that we need, increase our faith. And Jesus says, with the faith of a mustard seed, you can can say to this tree, get up and be planted in the sea.' It's not about so much faith. It's about having just enough faith to obey. It's not some wild, crazy amount of faith that lets us do some crazy, adventurous thing like step off a cliff into oblivion, hoping our foot lands. It's just enough faith to obey. Now, look back at the the story again of these men with leprosy. These ten men... Stand off at a distance. Now, why did they stand off at a distance? Because they had leprosy, and that was the rule. You weren't allowed to be close to healthy people if you had leprosy. But what do they say? Now, I think this is interesting. They never specifically ask for healing. They say, Jesus, have mercy on us. Now, I think it's implied what they were asking, but that's all they say. Jesus, master, This is the same title that the disciples used of Jesus. The one that they're going to follow. The one that they're going to obey. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Verse 14. When he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. Did Jesus say, you're healed? No. He gave them instructions. Think about that for a second. What's What the disciples ask increase our faith. These people come and they call Jesus master and they ask for his mercy. And his response is instructions. What should that tell us? I think that tells us That part of how our faith grows is following Jesus' instructions. These guys had no promise from Jesus that they would be healed. He simply gives them an assignment. Now, what's the assignment? The assignment is to follow the law of Moses, because what did we just see? Nothing of the law of Moses is ever going to become undone. Follow the law of Moses. Go show yourselves to the priests. And the implication is when you get there, they're going to examine you and you're going to be clean. You're you're going to not have leprosy anymore. But he never says that. He simply says, obey. And then what do they do? They obey. They obey. And as they obey, it says, as they went, they were cleansed. Man, I love this. The... I love the order of events that we see. They are told, right, uh, that we are told that they are healed on their way. They were not healed immediately. In this particular story, there's an interesting order of events. A request is made of Jesus. The command is given by Jesus. There is obedience, and then there's healing. I think that order of events is significant. It's significant in this context where for a chapter plus, we've been defending disobedience. Now we're shifting toward an increase of faith and uh, a shift toward obedience. I think it's important, the order of events. They believe, they're commanded, they obey, they're healed. Now, I think we make a huge mistake, church, if we look at this as a formula for receiving healing. This is not a formula for how to receive healing. This is a formula for how to increase your faith. Ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? And do it. That is what we see here. And it's not even about, again, having this huge amount of faith. It's about having just enough faith to obey. I want you to think about lepers. Why lepers here in this particular uh, story? These would have been desperate people with nothing To lose. How much faith would it take to act on this? Probably about as much as a grain of a mustard seed. Because they're desperate. In their desperation, what else can they do but take Jesus at his word and obey? And so they do. They believe Jesus is someone who can heal them. That's all we know. They believe that Jesus is someone who can heal them. He gives them instructions, they obey, and then they're healed. Now, look at the the response of the one. Okay? Now, only one came back. I think think all ten had faith. But I think something interesting happens here with this particular one. So they all obeyed, and they all demonstrated faith, but did all of their faith grow. I don't know. But I do know that this one's faith grew. How am I sure of this? Let's see. Let's look at verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks Now, he was a Samaritan. Again, we could go down the the road of how important the fact that he was a Samaritan is, but we're not doing that today. What I want to look at is the increase of, of faith. So the second way that our faith grows is by praising God. So he praises Jesus. He falls at his feet, and he thanks him. So at first, we see he calls Jesus Master at a distance. But then what do we see happen? When he is healed... He's legally allowed now. He's been changed. He he comes then and he throws himself at Jesus' feet. So I just love this yelling at a distance versus now he's praising God at Jesus' feet. He moves from simply calling him master to worshiping Jesus. That is a change. That is growth in his faith. He worships because he really believes. His healing confirmed his faith. And now we see that faith turn into praise. Our faith really grows when we step out in obedience and we see how God was with us all along. And then we stop and we recognize what God is up to and we praise him for being with us and helping us obey Him. Where does our strength come from? Our strength comes from the Lord. How are we able to obey? Because by God's Holy Spirit, He empowers our obedience. So when we ask for faith, and we know he's simply calling us to take him at his word and obey, and we're able to obey while we're experiencing obedience, we should stop and recognize, I couldn't do this before. But because of the work of the Spirit in my life, I'm able to do this now. So now I'm going to acknowledge where this obedience came from. And where did the obedience come from? The Lord. Now think about that. How could your faith not grow? It is a step of faith to trust, to step out in obedience. Then to see that we were able and to turn around and see how God was with us the whole time is the next level of growth in our faith. Man, what a challenge to us to stop, to pause, to see what God is up to How did the end of that exchange go? What was it that Jesus said to this man at the end of the exchange? He says to him, he says to him in uh, the, what is it, verse 19? He says, your faith has made you well. Now, this idea here of made you well is, I think, pretty cool. Uh, made well there uh, in, in the original language there, the Greek behind it, can also be translated as saved you. Your faith has saved you. Now, the King James Bible translates that as made you whole. There's this idea there that his faith changed something about him. Now, I was thinking about Mary and where we started today with with the Advent reading, and thinking about Mary and how she says, may it be to me according to your word. This idea that faith in obedience is rooted at the very beginning of the book of Luke. But Jesus uses this phrase and phrases like it throughout the book of Luke. And I want you to see something cool that there is this link between faith and salvation and being made well and being made whole. In Luke chapter 5, we have the story of the healing of the paralyzed man whose friends lowered him through the hole in the roof. What does Jesus say to this guy? It says, when he saw their what? Faith, he said to the man, your sins are are forgiven you. We see a link here between faith and sins being forgiven. Now, look at Luke 7, verses 48 and 50. There's the woman who poured costly perfume on Jesus, and she washed his feet with her tears and her hair. And how does that exchange go? It says in verse 48, And he said to her, What? Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That saved you is the same word as made you well in our story today of the the healing of the leper. Now, uh, what about the woman? who was healed of the bleeding disorder in Luke chapter 8. It says in verse 48, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. It's the same phrase. Your faith has saved you. And again, we're going to see this in a couple weeks when we get to Luke 18, verse 42, when Jesus heals the blind man, it says in verse 42, and Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. How is Luke using this idea of faith being made well, being saved, being whole? There is this link, there's this link between exercising our faith and being made whole. There is a tie, Luke does this so well throughout his, his, uh, his teaching, where, where he links faith, okay, to uh, forgiveness of sin and physical healing, The forgiveness of sin and physical healing, like we saw with the paralyzed man. How do you have uh, the authority? Jesus says, so you know I have authority to forgive sin. Get up and walk, right? So there's this link between physical healing and a spiritual condition. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you well. There is this element of not only are they being healed, but they're getting it. They're understanding who Jesus is. They're being made well. So to the paralyzed man, Jesus heals the body so that we know he has the authority to forgive sin. To the woman who washed Jesus' feet, she had nothing to be healed of, yet her faith saved her. To the woman with the bleeding disorder and the blind man from Luke 18, their faith healed them or saved them. And the same is true for our leper in our passage today. In our passage today, we see the disciples ask to increase, Jesus, they asked Jesus to increase their faith. Then we see Luke tell the story of the ten lepers. They obeyed and they were all healed. But it would seem that only this one man's faith grew. His faith grew as he obeyed and as he praised. If, if you find yourself, if you find yourself struggling with. Not always. Not always. But often, when we find ourselves struggling with doubt, it's because we're trying to defend disobedience. If you find yourself struggling with doubt, I want you to ask yourself, what are the things that I know God is calling me to do or perhaps not do, that I'm not excited about? What are the things that I know God has told me not to do that I really want to do? And ask yourself, is my desire to defend my preferred sin causing me to doubt? So a lot of times we come to Jesus and we say, increase my faith. I'm wrestling with doubt. And what I want you to understand is Jesus says, faith of a mustard seed. Just a little. Faith of a mustard seed. You can tell this tree, be uprooted, planted in the sea. It's not really about more faith. It's about some faith. Do you believe me? Do you believe me? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Are you sure? Yes, Lord. Increase my faith. Then you know that thing that you want to do? Don't do it. What? I really want to do that thing. Don't do it. Lord, increase my faith. Hey, don't don't do that. Our faith grows when we say, okay, I won't do it. Our faith grows when we obey. Remember that parable that doesn't make a lot of sense about the master and the servant, and when the servant comes in and The master kicks back and says, hey, make me some dinner. At the end of the day, what's the servant say? I only did my duty. It's recognizing, faith is recognizing he is our master. And we are the servant. Increase my faith. Help me obey. And when he helps you obey, what do you do? You praise God that he helped you obey. And here's what I can promise you. Here's what I can promise you. If you obey and if you praise him for helping you obey, your faith will be stronger. Your faith will be stronger. But if you continue in an avenue of disobedience, you will find yourself continually saying, increase my faith, increase my faith, increase my faith. Because disobedience leads to doubt, and obedience leads to faith, and faith leads to obedience. That's that's my challenge to you guys today. If you have ever found yourself saying to the Lord, increase my faith, If you've ever found yourself like Mary, saying, this is impossible. How how can this be? And then the angel of the Lord says, it's going to happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. And she says, may it be to me according to your word. Man, Mary's faith grew that day. That's what he's asking of you. Whatever that is, whatever it is in your life, that you're struggling with. I'm leaving it vague on purpose. And you all know that thing, that thing in your life that you defend, that thing in your life you make excuse for, that thing in your life that you try to say, it's okay, really, I promise, that you know it's not. For a chapter and a half, we had the example of the Pharisees twisting scripture to justify their disobedience. And the Pharisees were a people of disbelief in Jesus. And he says... Go show yourself to the priests. Obey. And as he went, he was healed. And Jesus says, your faith has saved you. If you're looking for deliverance from that thing, it's, time, it's, it's not rocket science. It's not something where you're actually going to say, tree, pick up, go to the sea. It's as simple as <coughs> obey. Take him at his word, and obey. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, we thank you and praise you for all you do. We thank you, Lord, that you've made it easy. But man, is it hard. Lord, we ask similarly to the disciples for you to increase our faith. Lord, help us to take that leap of faith, to trust you to walk out in obedience. And Lord, help us to praise your name the whole time. And as we take each step deeper and deeper into obedience, there is a confidence that comes with knowing you are with us and we are doing what you've called us to do. (laughs) Lord, do not let us be so arrogant as thinking we're the master and we can twist the order. Help us, Lord, to know we are the servant and help us to see that you are the kind of master who loves us and laid down your life for us, that your commands are for our good. Help us to believe that and to walk in it in your name we pray. Amen. I don't know how the Lord is working in your heart and life today, but the altar is open. If there's something you need to lay down, if there's something you need increased faith in, this is the time to respond. If you're here and you have something else going in your life, it has nothing to do with what we talked about. The altar is open. As we sing these songs, do business with the Lord.